series that we're calling Christ of the uh, Christ of the Covenants. Um, a covenant is simply a binding relationship with promises and conditions. And the, the imagery that we've tried to weave throughout the series is this. Um, imagine, imagine with me that you're standing on the seashore and wave after wave, they're, they're coming in and they're breaking and they're crashing at your ankles. And if you stand there long enough, here's what you're going to see. You're going to see uh, wave after wave uh, coming in and they form one rising tide. Uh, and so when we look at covenants in the Bible, and so far we've looked at five of them, when we look at these covenants in the Bible, here's the way that we see it. We, we see successive waves of God's grace forming one rising tide. And so, so far, like I said, five covenants have, or five waves have come in. Uh, we looked at Adam, uh, Noah, Abraham, Moses, David. Uh, and the way that we finished last week was like this. We said, uh, like a shoreline would before a tsunami or a tidal wave came in, uh, the shoreline has receded. And today with the new covenant, the, the tidal wave that is the new covenant is going to come crashing in. And so uh, let's look at it. Jeremiah 31. Jeremiah 31. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. Not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, my covenant that they broke, though I was their husband, declares the Lord. Okay, uh, first thing is, who is this covenant with, right? So it says uh, Judah and Israel. Now, that's, that's not two people. Uh, that's, uh, think, Israel north and Israel south, right? If I could illustrate it this way. Um, think Dallas and Houston, okay? We're all Texans, but we don't like them and they don't like us, all right? We're one, though. We're one. We're Texan. Right, and with these people, he says, I'm going to make um, a new covenant. Now, to understand the new covenant, we need, uh, we need to know some background. All right, we need some background. And in verse 32, it says this. It says that this covenant that I'm going to make uh, it's not like the covenant that I made. Now, you ready? Here's going to be a complex theological question. The covenant, singular or plural? I know, nobody wants to be the guy who gets that one wrong, uh, so I'll answer for you. The covenant, singular. Singular. Talking about one covenant here. But we've talked about five covenants. So what's he talking about? Is he talking about the entirety, the whole of it? Is there maybe one specifically? Um, he's speaking about the one, and the answer is the one that was made when they were led out of Egypt. He's speaking about the covenant God made with Moses. And if I could summarize that covenant, uh, it's the Ten Commandments, right? Ten Commandments. God says, hey, here, here they are. Go and obey. Now, these Ten Commandments uh, are not complex ethics, right? They're, they're not high-level social ethics. It's you're married, they're married, don't sleep with his wife, Hey, I, you know what? Don't, don't lie to one another. I, I think that when we talk to one another, we should, we should know we're telling each other the truth. Hey, don't, don't covet. Like, don't, don't have an inordinate desire for something to the degree that just controls you, right? This is not complex um, ethics. And God says, go and obey, but they didn't. Uh, and then there was this phrase. There's this phrase that Jeremiah said here that when I read it the first time, like when I read it, it just... I mean, it leapt off the page at me. And it was the phrase, though I was their 
husband. Now, to understand the Bible, at times, you, you need to really get yourself into the shoes of the, uh, of the, of the reader the first time they read it. And when the, the Israelites would have read this the first time, they would have seen though I was their husband. They would have flagged a story in their mind. They would have flagged a story out of the Old Testament called Hosea. Hosea is about a man named Hosea uh, who had an unfaithful wife. And God came to him and said, hey, hey, Hosea, I know you've got an unfaithful wife, but I want you to go and pursue, chase down, run down your bride. And when, when it says here that though I was their husband, what would have flagged in their mind is they would have seen, hey, we're the unfaithful bride, and God is saying he's the faithful husband pursuing us. Point, point, uh, is that breaking this covenant, breaking these Ten Commandments, not obeying, is not simply a matter of external morality. It's a matter of the heart. It's an issue of the, the human condition. And so if I could maybe try to illustrate uh, this for you guys. Uh, I, I have three kids, uh, and with each kid, they got successively worse. Uh, and so <laughs> with our first kid, we were like, hey, this is easy. We got this. Let's do it again. And then we were like, oh, that's not the same. Um, uh, and then we had a third, and we are like, all right, we're done. All right, we're not doing this again. And now my wife is pregnant with our fourth child. So here we go. Yeah. I don't know that this is public information yet, so I love you um, deeply. Uh, but here's what the, so here's the deal. My, uh, there's going to be a lunch convo coming my way. Uh, uh, my two-year-old, uh, my two-year-old, uh, she went through this phase where pre the age of two, uh, with this phase where if we said no to her, uh, she would hit and like hit back violently, right? And then if you said no again, she would walk usually to the middle of the room, drop down on her rear, spread her legs, and start spitting on the ground. Where did she learn that? Listen, uh, I have friends in the room. Uh, I cannot pretend like we have a perfect home, right? It's not like my wife and I uh, sit in the living room and sing worship songs to each other every night. It's not how we live, uh, but we have never gotten into a fight. Uh, Amanda said no, and I popped her in the jaw. Never happened. I have never said, hey, babe, I just don't know that's a good idea. I think we shouldn't do it. And she walked in the living room, sat down, spread her legs, and started spitting. My, my bride has never done that. Disobedience, disobedience is an unlearned trait. It's woven into a fallen humanity. It's a Genesis 3 on issue for all of us. It's hardwired into our DNA. And so God gives these Ten Commandments to Israel, says go and obey. And Israel basically, basically fights back, drops down, spreads her legs, and spits on the ground. And so God says, I'm going to make a new covenant with you. This covenant, it's going to have, like all covenants, promises. And they're in verse 33. There's four of them. Verse 33, for this is the covenant. This is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them, and I will write it on their hearts. And I will be their God, and they shall be my people. And no longer shall each one 
teach his neighbor and each his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me, from the least to the greatest, declares the Lord. For I, I will forgive their iniquity, and I will remember their sin no more. All right, promise number one, internalizing grace. I will put my law within them, and I will write it on their hearts. Where the Ten Commandments were written in stone, the law now will be written on the hearts of men. And this means, this means that what God is after is not simply your moral conformity for the sake of moral conformity. It means that God is after the hearts of his people. Now, a couple weeks ago, um, a couple weeks ago, Drew Knowles, one of our other pastors, was preaching, and he gave this illustration about you coming into his house and telling his kids, hey, you don't really have to obey. It's that you should want to obey. Uh, and so uh, I'm going to pick that illustration up again. And, and if you came to my house and we're having dinner, our little round table, it's got four chairs, so we can't all do it at once. Uh, but if you came to my house and we're having dinner and you looked over and you saw my, it'd likely be my son, uh, my son uh, just wrecking shop, disobeying, uh, and you walked over to my son, and you, you got on your knees, and you said, hey, Easton, let me, let me talk to you, buddy. Hey, it's not that you have to obey your dad. It's that you should really want to obey your dad. I would escort you right out of our house so that we could talk about how obedience is not an invitation. It's not because I'm your dad you should want to obey me. Uh, you, you're going to obey me because I'm your father. Now, that being said... That being said, if my kids, um, all three and a half, if my kids, if my kids did everything I asked them to do for the next 50 years, but there's no, like, I don't love my kids, my kids don't love me, that's not a win. That's not a win. God is after the hearts of his people, and the evidence that God has your heart is your obedience. All right. Promise number two, promise number two, personal relationship. I will be their God, and they shall be my people. And if God in the, in the scriptures, if he wants to get really personal with you, this is the kind of language he uses. It's, I'll be their God, they'll be my people. So my, my wife, um, who is sitting right over here, my, my wife, when I, when I look out at the room, I, I know that some of you are married. Uh, I know who you're married to, and, and I look at it and I go, man, that's... Uh, you know, a wife over there. Uh, but when I look at my wife, I don't think that's a wife. That's my wife. When I look at Amanda, that's, that's not a bride. That's my bride. And what God is saying to you today, not, not just us, but you, and not just you, but us. You're not just a people to me. You're my people. You're my people. Promise number three, no class distinction. When he says, no longer, no longer shall each teach his neighbor and each his brother, saying, know the Lord, for they shall all know me from the least to the greatest. Jeremiah here is speaking of a particular kind of teaching in the scriptures. In the Old Testament, um, there were classes, there were ranks of people. And this phrase, uh, least to the greatest, uh, this is a, a technical phrase that always references ranks, classes of people. And so what he's talking about here is the kind of teaching that priests did in the Old Testament. That in the Old Testament, there were these priests who would, they would bring sacrifices to the temple, 
uh, but they were also the teachers of Israel, and they had a, a special kind of knowledge. And he's saying that in the new covenant, in the new covenant, this special kind of knowledge goes away. That, that special knowledge is available to all of us. And so there's no class distinction. And then promise four, uh, complete forgiveness. It says, forgive iniquity, and I'll remember their sin no more. Now, talking about sin, I, I know talking about sin to some of us can feel a bit archaic. It, it can feel a bit like, hey, man, we're, like, we're modern. Like, as a modern society, do we really need to use that language? Like, shouldn't we uh, come up with new language for what's wrong with the world? And, uh, and I, I think that uh, part of the reason that some of us might think that is that when we think of sin, we define sin as simply breaking rules. Uh, we define sin as, uh, as having broken some of the, the rules that I'm not supposed to break, and so that's what sin is. But, uh, but if we can maybe have a broader, more thick definition of what sin is, um, sin at its root is a functional desire to be your own God, which is what the original promise was, the deception, the lie in Genesis 3, right? You will be like God. It's why Martin Luther a uh, famous theologian 500 years ago uh, said, hey, the reason that you, that you break the, the other nine commandments, two through ten, is because you've broken the first commandment, because you have other gods. That, that's what it means to sin. So you, you covet because you have another god. You sleep with someone else's wife because you've worshipped other gods. And so if I could maybe bring that into Jeremiah and use some of Jeremiah's language here, uh, Jeremiah uh, would describe sin as when you have other lovers. Uh, do you know that uh, in the Bible, in certain places, Jeremiah describes worshiping other gods, offering yourself to other idols as spreading your legs. Now, in the English, uh, Old Testament was written in Hebrew, and we translate it into English. In the English, we, uh, we soften that, right, to give ourselves over, or uh, some translations will say, uh, we'll say things like whoring yourself out, uh, but in the Hebrew, it's spreading your legs. Now, why would, why would Jeremiah do this? Like, is, is it simply like Jeremiah is kind of like a 2016 preacher, like going for shock value? Is that what it is? No. It's because, it's because when you spread your legs, what are you doing? When you have another lover, what are you doing? You are giving up complete control of yourself to someone else. See, at the heart and essence of sin is that we have handed control over ourselves to someone other than God. Now, most of us in this room, uh, I'm not going to assume all of us, but most of us, I don't think we climb the mountains that Jeremiah was talking about uh, to worship other gods. But there are, there are hundreds, hundreds of other lovers that we have given ourselves over to. And I want to talk about two of them, two prevalent ones inside of our church. One, success. Success, jobs. Two, religious morality. See, when you, uh, when you say, and I just, like, I've got to have that next promotion. If I just had a little bit more, if my bonus was just enough, I would feel like I'm important, like I'm valued, like I'm satisfied. Like, if I just have a little more, if I, if I can just get ahead, if I can make sure that I get the promotion, not this guy over here, not this lady over here. Here's what you're doing. Be graphically Jeremiah, you are spreading your legs to the lover of success. And let me tell you, that's a lover that will leave you in the dead of night.
or maybe religious morality, if you think that you can earn the favor of God through your moral living, you've offered yourself to another lover. Now, don't get me wrong. Right, we've talked about this already. Christians, we, you, you are called to obey. And obedience is not an invitation. You're called to obey. But if the motivation for your obedience isn't love, then it's comparison. And if your motivation for obedience is how do I look next to this person, how do people see me compared to everyone else, when you're alone at night, when you're alone at night, it will do nothing for your soul. Jeremiah knows that we've all had other lovers, that we've all broken the other nine because we've broken the first. And so God says, since you have, and since now you have complete forgiveness, that's the promise here, I'm making a new covenant, and it's got these four, internalizing grace, personal relationship, class distinctions, and complete forgiveness. Now, here's what's interesting. Here's what's interesting about this new covenant, that of the four promises, only one is unique as a promise. Three of the four promises are promises that were already made in the Scriptures. Only one is unique. So let me walk through these. Um, Internalizing grace. I've got four or five verses written down. Let me just pick one. I'm going to pick one, but go read Deuteronomy. They're all out of that book. Deuteronomy 6, 6. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. Later in Deuteronomy, he's going to say, go circumcise the foreskin of your heart. It's not new. This promise is not new. It's woven into the Old Testament, in particular Deuteronomy. Personal relationship. This is not new either. Jeremiah 24, 7. In fact, it's not even new to Jeremiah. It says, I will give them a heart to know that I am the Lord, and they shall be my people, and I will be their God. For they returned to me with their whole heart. Not new. Complete forgiveness. This promise is not new either. Psalm 32, 1 through 2. Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity, and in whose spirit there is no deceit. Again, not new. So what is new? What is the new promise to this new covenant? The answer is class distinctions, that there will be none, that they're broken down. And this takes us to the heart of the new covenant in Hebrews 8. Now, Hebrews 8 um, is in the middle, uh, really in the heart of the book. And Hebrews is basically a three-point sermon. Uh, So you guys who don't like outlines, there's one in Hebrews. And point two of this sermon in Hebrews is that Jesus is better than Moses. And remember what what was Jeremiah contrasting New Covenant with? Moses. And how does Hebrews come and say, hey, Jesus is better than Moses? By looking at the priesthood of Jesus. I'll explain that as we go. Hebrews 8, 1 through 3. Now, now the point in what we are saying is this. We have such a high priest, one who is seated at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in heaven, a minister in the holy places, in the true tent that the Lord set up, not man. For every high priest is appointed to offer gifts and sacrifices. Thus, it is necessary for this priest 
to also have something to offer. Verse 6, but as it is, as it is, Christ has obtained a ministry that is much more excellent than the old, as the covenant he mediates is better, since it is enacted on better promises. Now, here's what's just happened so far. The old covenant has priests, and these priests would come to the temple, and they would offer sacrifices for the people, new sacrifice for new sin. And and here in Hebrews it said that what Jesus did is better. What he did is better. So what makes it better? Chapter 9. But when Christ appeared as a high priest of the good things that have come, then through the greater and more perfect tent, not made with hands, that is not of this creation, he entered once for all into the holy places, not by means of blood, by the blood of goats and calves, but by means of his own blood, thus securing an eternal redemption. For if the blood of goats and bulls and the sprinkling of defiled persons with the ashes of a heifer sanctify for the purification of the flesh, how much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, to purify our conscience from dead works and serve the living God? Did you see what makes it better? See, in the old covenant, In the Old Covenant, you had a priest who would bring a sacrifice. In the New Covenant, you have a priest who is the sacrifice. Old Covenant, bring the sacrifice. New Covenant, the priest is the sacrifice. He is the sacrifice. And so these priests in the Old Testament, they were a special class with a special role because they were a foreshadow of Jesus. They came into the presence of God in the temple as a foreshadow of how Christ would come and go into the presence of the Father. They would bring sacrifices as a foretaste and foreshadow of the sacrifice that Christ would offer of himself on the cross. And the difference, the difference in the old and the new is the difference in shadows versus substance, right? So if my, if my wife, let's use this room for example, if she were standing behind that wall back there, if she's standing back there and I'm looking uh, and I can see her shadow, like I know it's her, I know she's standing there, but I can see her shadow there, um, that's comforting and good and beautiful. But it is not the same thing as me getting down, walking through this aisle, turning at the corner and grabbing my wife and holding my wife and hugging my wife. And you see what Hebrews is saying is that when you look at the Old Testament, in particular the priesthood, You're looking at the shadow of Jesus. But now, now the corner has been turned. And you can grab it. You can hold it. It's here. It's real. And when you know that, when you see that, you know you have something better. Chapter 8. Because the priest came and offered himself. Chapter 9. So that chapter 10 can be true of you. Chapter 10, verse 14, for by a single offering, he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. Now, those who have been perfected, past tense, those who are being sanctified, being made like Christ, being made holy, present tense. 
Here's what Hebrews is saying, that what's happening to you right now, Christian, if you're a Christian in the room, Christian, what's happening to you right now has already been accomplished. What's happening has already been accomplished. And so you being sanctified is you becoming who you are. It's why, like, when, when, we, when we say, hey, listen, let me plead with you. Let me plead this with you. We do this on a regular basis. Jump into a neighborhood parish. And when you get into that neighborhood parish, don't, don't just live as a man or a woman in a crowd. But actually be willing to say, this is who I am. Be willing to be vulnerable enough with the people around you that you would let them speak into who you are and to who you're becoming. Because when you know that what's happening to you is you becoming who you are, it breaks down the fear of being known. It breaks down the fear of being known. Because you know what? The people around you are, you are them becoming who you are. And so when we come into our neighborhood parishes, we live life in relationship, in community. It's us together as a community becoming who we are together. When we gather on Sundays, when we gather on Sundays, you want, you want to know why uh, we, on a regular basis or as often as we think of it, Say, hey, let me encourage you. Let me encourage you. Try all you can to be here when the gathering starts, whether it's 9 or 11. It's because we, we have four parts to our Sunday gathering, and we desperately, like we desperately want you to know that Sunday is much richer than simply a man preaching a sermon that you could go listen to online. We, we walk through what we call a, a, a call to worship and then a confession of sin and then an assurance of pardon. And at the end, we're going to have a benediction. And those mirror these four things, God is holy, we are sinners, Christ saves us, Christ sends us. And when we come together on Sundays, when we walk through this gathering, when we walk through these four parts of what we call a liturgy, liturgy is just a, uh, every church has one, it's the order of your corporate worship. When we walk through these four parts, this is us together as a community, as a church, becoming who we are. It's us together becoming who we are. And how? How does it happen? Let's keep reading. Verse 15. And the Holy Spirit also bears witness to us. For after saying, this is the covenant that I will make with them after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my laws on their hearts and write them on their minds. Then he adds, I will remember their sins and their lawless deeds no more. You see what Hebrews just said about the Spirit of God? That the Spirit of God is testifying, bearing witness to you about you. The Spirit of God is taking all of these promises of the new covenant and internalizing them, making them real for you. All right, so internalized grace. The Spirit is coming and saying to you, it's yours, it's yours, it's yours. Now go and fight sin, go and become who you are. Personal relationship, saying you belong to Christ, Christ belongs to you, you are my people. Complete forgiveness, you have it. You have it because of the blood of Christ, you have it. So stop, stop. Stop killing yourself for every little stumble. Go become who you are. Who you are. You are. You are. No class distinction. Class distinction. There is none. You are a holy priesthood, a royal 
nation. I might have gotten those backwards, but it's out of Peter. Listen there, I love my job. I, I think, I really think that I've got the greatest job in the world. But this job does not come with a special line to God. Like, I don't have a special hotline uh, where I can pray God hears me in a different way than, he pray, than you pray and he hears you. Like, I have no more access to God than you do. None. None whatsoever. Class distinction has been broken down. And six weeks ago, we started on this series. And we said, hey, successive wave after successive wave after successive wave. And what Hebrews is saying to you, saying to me, and the tidal wave has come in. Like the tidal wave of grace that your soul desperately longs for. That you desperately need the tidal wave has come in. It's come in. And so what did we want? Right? So we started the series, Christ of the Covenants. We picked a really big, weird name for it. What did we want? Like, what do we want you to leave this, this series knowing, seeing, with? Here's what we wanted. We wanted you to look at the Bible. We wanted you to look at the Scriptures and know this, that Christ, Christ is the true and better Adam, the one who perfectly obeyed his Father and climbed the tree of death, so that we could eat from the tree of life. That he's the true and better Noah, who on the cross would be overcome with the flood of God's wrath to become the ark by which the church is saved. That he was the true and better Abraham, the one who left his father, wandered in a desert to create a new family, the church, that would bless all families. And he's the true and better Moses, the one who fulfilled the law to free us to go and obey it. And he's the true and better David, the unlikely hero, the unlikely hero who would defeat a giant to become our shepherd, priest, and king. Christ is the true and better the offspring of Genesis 3.15 that would defeat the serpents on our behalf. What's the point? The Bible's not about you. The Bible's not about you. The Bible's not about you, and that is really, really, really good news. Because if it was... If it was, it would be about your successes and your failures. And you know as well as I do that we fail more than we succeed. But, 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 it's about how every promise was fulfilled in Christ and you are in Christ, which means that your weakest moment, like at the moment where you think, I simply can't hang on any longer, there is no promise made in the old covenant that's not fulfilled in Christ, that's not available to you today in your weakest moment. There's not one, not a single one. And there's nothing, no, you are in Christ now. There's nothing that you're going to need 10,000 years from now that's not available today. Nothing. Now go and become who you are. Nothing. Go and become who you are. But it also means this. It also means this, 
the tidal wave that came in is still coming in. Still coming in. And it will come in until Christ returns. It'll come in until, until Christ returns. So why do we say, hey, go and become who you are? Why does holiness matter? Why, why Christian, does it matter how you live? Because in our lives, we make the wave visible. Why do we say, hey, go live honest, rich, open lives inside deep relationship inside of a neighborhood parish? Because that makes the wave visible. Why, why, why do we want to multiply parishes to make the wave visible? Why do we say we're going to plant new churches and we're going to ask some of you to go and leave and to start new churches? Why? To make the wave visible. Why do we dream? Like, why? Why do we sit around here? If you're new, let me tell you, some, let me tell you a dream that we don't have. Like, we don't dream about thousands of people at Sojourn Heights. We, we want... I mean, we want the gospel to land on this city that every non-Christian around us become a Christian to the degree that we've got to buy a new building. Like we, we're, we're all for it. But let me tell you what we dream about. We, we dream about a neighborhood parish in walking distance of every man, woman, and child inside of our neighborhood and inside of our city. Why? Why? Because all around us, all around us are men and women who don't know there's a tidal wave, who aren't searching for a tidal wave. And we don't want to say to them, hey, you come and have to show up on a Sunday to find it. We, we want, by God's grace, by God's mercy, to see those waves break and land on their doorstep so that the wave would be visible, not just on Sunday, but on Tuesday and on Wednesday and on Friday and on Saturday. Why do we say pray? Pray about moving in, putting down roots. Why do we say things like, hey, would you have bigger dreams for your life than a dollar per square foot? Like, like would, would you have bigger dreams than dreaming about the amount of house you could get somewhere else? Like, what if... Like, what if you just dreamed things that were so big that that seemed small enough that it didn't matter? Listen, I've got a fourth kid on the way. I want a yard too. But what if? What if our dreams were dreams of tidal waves of grace landing on our neighbors more than they were dollar per square foot? So Why? Why do we want you to pray that, plead that? Why do we want to see that shaped in you to make the wave visible? May this be us. May this be us at Sojourn. May we be this kind of people who take holiness serious, who live rich, open lives in the context of community. May we be willing to leave the parish we're in to go start new parishes. May we be willing to leave to go start new churches so that, so that the tidal wave that is the new covenant might wash up on the doorsteps of our neighbors. Let's pray. Father, we, we, we know that to be that kind of people, 
For that to be us, it takes a mountain of grace. It takes the empowering of the Spirit. And so I'm asking you to do it. I'm asking that you would make the wave of grace visible through us. And for my, uh, for these, for the men and women in here who, who go, man, I, I'm really not interested. I, I, wave of grace, like I don't care about that. Maybe, just maybe, today might be the day where they would look up and they would see Jesus for who he is. And that wave of grace might flood their souls like it never has before. Pray in Christ's name. Amen.